0: In one of the suttas, someone asked the Buddha um, to sort of summarize in one phrase, what is it that liberated ones know, or really sort of how is it that liberated beings are, so to speak. And the Buddha answered that what they know is that nothing whatsoever should be clung to. And he went on to say that, those who know that, he says, um, those to have heard this phrase is to have heard every phrase of the teaching. To have put it into practice is to have done every practice. Nothing whatsoever should be clung to. In a way, this is one way of describing What I feel is the core, the pith teaching of the Buddha, the uh, main or actually only thing we really need to know in our practice here. And that's the understanding of no self or of emptiness. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. The uh, root teaching of no self or emptiness. Hopefully, not in a theoretical way at all. And I want to talk about it uh, because it, it's, it's very, it's very wonderful. It's like, to me, the closest teaching to my heart. I know often when uh, we mention no self. There can be, maybe not, but often people seem to have a little sense of, oh no, you know. <laughs> the heart kind of drops, you know, I never get this. It's too, you know, complicated for me. I'm not there yet. It makes me crazy, you know, to try and think about this. And gone, you know, the mind is gone into all this what ifs, and if there's no self, then, you know, fill in the blanks. So. I, hopefully that's not my intention is not to engender uh, a sense of confusion, but to to help point <laughs> to help point to the fact that this is actually not a complicated teaching at all. It's the most simple experience, the most simple expression of how things are. I actually think that it's we miss it because it's so simple and we get so involved in thinking about it. So what I hope to do is talk about uh, inviting us to inquire in our practice both into first the sense of self when it arises and also to recognize and explore the sense or feeling or whatever you want to call it of emptiness or just simply non-self. I'm going to be referring a lot to Ajahn Buddhadasa, who was a wonderful Thai uh, monk meditation teacher. He died in uh, 93. And he, uh, he was sort of in the Theravada tradition, you could consider him a radical in the Theravada tradition which in the sum of all of Buddhism isn't too radical, but still he uh, he kind of synthesized all different traditions. And he's uh, done some wonderful writings on the understanding of emptiness or shunyata, which is mentioned in the, in the Pali text, believe it or not. And he talks about very simply the sense of emptiness as being the experience of a moment when it's empty of self, empty of the sense of I or mine. So I want to invite us both to explore the presence of the sense of self and the absence of it. And we can sometimes worry that it's too complicated for me to understand this. And in fact, I just read this in reading a little bit about Buddhadasa. He was quite old when he died, so he started teaching as a young monk in the 1930s in Thailand. And at that time, apparently, um, it was felt that the teachings on emptiness or no self were too complicated for lay people. And so they weren't taught to lay people. You know, lay people couldn't get that. And Buddhadasa feeling, I think quite rightly, that this was the core liberation teaching Uh, Began teaching it to lay people because, uh, you know, it's freedom is what this practice is about. And any of us with wise attention can understand and experience this. And so he began teaching it to lay people, and now it's much more commonly taught. (laughs) So the Buddha also taught shunyata, emptiness, non self, to lay people. In fact, I read another sutta where uh, one of his big lay followers, a man, came to him and said, you know, give us one teaching that will be to our benefit for a very long time. And the Buddha gave him the teaching on emptiness. She said, really contemplate emptiness. And just like many of us, Dhammadina, that was the name of this layman, said, Oh no, that's too hard for us. We're too involved with our homes and our children and we're too busy enjoying sandalwood paste and wearing perfumes, you know. We can't be expected to understand and practice this, give us something easier. So I guess we don't change much. But the fact remained that when asked, when the Buddha was asked, For a teaching that would be of benefit for a long time, this is the one that he offered. And as he said, it didn't say it in this sutta, but in many others, if it were not possible, I would not ask you to do so. He never put out something that was beyond our abilities or understanding. So this emptiness or freedom from the sense of self. It's not, in fact, an esoteric or very abstruse or rare experience at all. In fact, it's so normal, so natural, it's simply a mind that's undistracted. As Joseph spoke of last night, the nature of mind, when not distracted, is Simply pure awareness. Buddhadasa calls it satipanya, mindfulness wisdom. There's nothing more normal and more natural. And many times in a day, that is, it's hard to find a word observable or recognizable, or that's our conscious experience, if we would just notice it with awareness. Simply moments when there is this natural ease of being, natural awareness, with no giving rise to a sense of I or mine. The thing is, so often we don't notice this, because it's not always so spectacular. And we do tend to get much more involved in the distractions, so-called distractions. And we can tend to think while the distraction is that loud sound, or this unpleasant emotion, or these obsessive thoughts that keep coming, or this pain in my knee, or just that creak of the floor, and we get involved in the distractions, the emotions, whatever, but what we need to recognize is it's not the appearance or what's arising that's the distraction, the root of all distraction, the root of all the resultant suffering, the root of our fear of pain and our yearning for pleasure is simply this false clinging that we call the sense of self, this false view of a someone here who is experiencing and keeping notes on this all. Buddha Dasa described it. He translates two Pali words, which I like, but I'll spare you. Um, this view of self, not even view, but the momentary experience that we call me or mine. He calls it "i-ing" and mying. In a moment where there's a born, the sense of I is eyeing. And when there's born the sense of mine, it's mying. I love that. It's really it's really nice. Un- and unexamined, because these are born many times in a day. Unexamined, we take it for granted. And it feels like, it seems like, that this sense of I or mine is an ongoing, ever-present aspect of our experience. And we tend to, even at moments when it's not present, It's easy to overlook and then just kind of in memory say, well, I wasn't noticing it then, but of course it was there. I just wasn't thinking about it. That's right. You weren't thinking about it, but it wasn't there. So without investigating, it seems real. And one of the traps I think we fall into in um, exploring the teachings of no-self is rather than turning the uh, discriminating uh, awareness of investigation onto the experience of me itself, we tend to start thinking about it. Thinking about how can there not be a self? I'm sure there is a self, and the more we think about it, the more solid the sense of self seems, which only goes to support our idea in the first place. So what I personally find very, it's really interesting in my practice and it just cuts through over and over again this unconscious belief in the ongoing nature of self is when you recognize the presence of the feeling of I or mine very simply turn the attention onto it. Bring the quality of investigation, not investigation of thinking, but of satipanya, of mindfulness wisdom. Turn it onto that experience that we're calling I or mine. And what do we find? This is from Nisargadatta Maharaj. Is the mind real? It is but a collection of states each of them transitory. How can a succession of transitory states be considered real? Even the basic idea, I am the body, is a mental state and does not last. It comes and goes, like all other mental states. The illusion of being the body-mind is there only because it is not investigated only because it's not investigated. So when we do begin to investigate, quite consciously, what do we find? Well, I'm going to tell you, but don't take my word for it, please. Continue to investigate each time you notice the feeling of I or mine arising. But we find that the sense of self is merely a condition that arises when there's grasping and clinging in the mind. It's that simple. Merely a condition that arises and passes. Admittedly, rather frequently. But that's all it is. And we can uh, experience this with awareness over and over and over. You can see this well with any sense-door contact. This is the dependent origination that we've talked about. There's the contact of a sense-door thought, pleasant or unpleasant, the craving that arises. When that craving strengthens to grasping, there's the sense of I or mine, and it strengthens into becoming something. So the thought arises, hmm, concentration could be a little better could just be a thought that comes and goes. If there's a little clinging, it strengthens into grasping and immediately is born, my concentration could be better. Strengthening even further into becoming an I'm not doing so well in my practice. Now we often notice the um, suffering effects of clinging in that case that had the thought just come and gone, no problem. But what we can also do is consciously begin to notice, explore with attention, that feeling of self that arises together with that grasping. It's not just the grasping, but suddenly I have become quite strong and separate. You or a meditation or Some other has also become quite strong and separate. And we can feel, experientially, in some way, you can direct the attention to what you're calling I. We don't have to just leave it some nebulous, well, there's I, but don't really look at it. That's what makes it seem like a solid thing. When you really look, what do you find? Well, there's a feeling of grasping. Maybe there's a kind of almost a physical sensation internally of contraction or restriction or clutching, for example. You might notice just a narrowed down restricted consciousness. So notice it the next time that a sense object comes up and there's some clinging arising in the mind. Just be so simple as, hmm, I wonder what's for lunch tomorrow. And the mind just moves right into that, and you notice the clinging, and you notice the wanting, and the sense of distance. But also notice how I have become very solid. And then see what I, what are you calling I in that moment? Buddha Dasa calls this birth, right? This emergence of I. I as the hungry person, I as the bad meditator, I as the lonely person. I as whatever. And so there's birth and death. We're being born and dying hundreds and hundreds of times in any one day. And we can notice this sense of birth and we can notice when this particular becoming dissipates, when it fades away, when I'm no longer the hungry person. That's gone. There's no more clinging in the mind. And this, I think, is a very important point to maintain the alertness of awareness because at the point of the dissipation of that particular birth, whatever it might be, often that's a moment when there's just the emptiness. Joseph spoke last night of shifting our reference point of our practice to really cultivating the mind of non-attachment. When a particular self dies, often that moment there's just that that purity of awareness. That is the nature of what we are, the mind of non-attachment. Do we even notice that? Or do we sort of tend to dull out, wait for the next birth, Wait for something to happen again, even if it's unpleasant, wait for a new birth and just sort of miss the the spaciousness, the real true happiness and peace of a mind of non attachment. Well, we usually don't have to wait too long. And it's really interesting to watch out of how out of just clear alertness and peace and awareness. The birth of self can be so sudden and so strong. It's really quite funny if we could look at it that way. I, just a story once that illustrated it for me very strongly. I was on a retreat, in a self-retreat in California in a very... Uh, beautiful environment, and I was sitting outside on a bench up high, looking down over a very uh, spacious, uh, natural view. And just with my eyes open, I was sitting and feeling just very spacious, peaceful, aware, not much thought, not much construction, no sense of me or mine, just being. And then... um, you know, noticing different animals. There was a little skunk. And it was in a place where they have herds of white deer, and so you could see them way down. It was quite lovely. Just watching, coming and going. And some vultures were, turkey vultures were swooping down and circling, and just that sense of being one with nature, you know, which is actually Buddhadasa really encouraged as a practice to spend time in nature. His whole monastery, Swan Mok, in southern Thailand, is a huge, some 300 acres forest monastery. I spent some time there when I was a nun. and And his philosophy really was to just let people go live in nature and the mind and the heart quiets until one realizes one is one with nature. And really the sense of clinging to self tends to dissipate. Well, anyway, so that was my experience at that moment. But the, the birds started coming down from some trees near me. I thought, far out. They're really close. I never saw them so close. And then they were circling, and then suddenly this thought arose in my mind, oh my God, I'm what they're circling. <laughs> and so, Fast. I mean, panic. <laughs> Total panic arose in, in an instant. Definitely, a real grasping of that thought and that panic itself. I, I very came very close to leaping up and screaming, "I'm still alive! I'm still alive!" You know, it was it was hugely amusing, even at the time. But it doesn't take much to come out of that peace, that spaciousness, you know, into the grasping of self. So let's, just for a moment, I'd like to mention, none of this is news to anybody, but the, the various aspects of experience that um, the clinging or grasping arises in relationship to the various aspects of experience you could say we identify with. But much more, this is not to make a list in your head, but to um, encourage turning wise attention onto both the uh, object or experience that is grasped, but also that sense of me or mine in the feeling of the grasping. So, of course, one of the big areas of experience is that of our body, our physical sensations, but I would actually expand it more to body. And when we're in the realm of thinking about it, the realm of view or opinion, then the sense that I am my body, you might in one way be able to say, well, obviously I'm not because the way I look now is very different from how I was when I was 10 days old. You couldn't even say it was the same. You know, we've got endless rationalizations about how I'm not the body, and we can have various organs missing, and you can that's gone, you know, and you think, well, that doesn't seem to affect me. I guess I wasn't that. But... That's all rationalization, I would like to say, in my particular experience. Without really examining when it's present, the sense I am the body, that's where we can see what are we really calling in our experience I or mind. And when we look, the sense I am the body breaks down every time. All we need to do is look not take it for granted, not think our ideas about it are enough, because in most cases our ideas about it are not enough. So when I'm thinking, of course we don't sit here and think, I am my body, I mean it's not quite that clear, but when there's a physical experience and that sense of I, look, bring the wise attention to the experience itself and see. So the idea of our body may be, my knee hurts. But when we really bring attention in a sitting, there's no knee, there's no my, there's just bubbling or vibrations or tingling, and even those words are a concept. And then I'll notice a mental image of knee, or a thought, that's my knee, what's going to happen to it if I don't move? And often, if I'm not paying attention, that image is actually where the grasping of self comes. That grasping at the eye become this image of a knee or this person who has a knee. If I don't notice that it's not actually the sensation that's being grasped at all, it's the mental image. And I notice that really often when I'm sitting, There's just sensation, sensation, and then a flash of an image. Maybe it's of my whole body sitting. Maybe it's of my face. Maybe it's of the body part. doesn't really matter what. And if I can just notice the image, seeing, seeing, it's just an image. But often if I don't notice it, there's a real kind of grasping at it, and I think I'm identified with a sensation. And I keep looking at the sensation. I just see bubbling. Clearly I don't feel grasping around that but there's still a sense of self. So that's why it's so important when I notice the sense of self, don't just say, well, I'm not clinging to this bubbling. Turn around and bring wise attention to the sense of I itself. And often I'll say, ah, oh, identifying with this image or this thought of body or something like that. So it's often much more subtle than we might think. We think, I'm so hungry. But when we really bring attention to hunger, sometimes it's hard to even find it physically. It's a funny thing. All you can find is, you know, little movements or little bubblings or something. You go, why is this bothering me? You know, it's nothing even here. But again, turn, don't just say, well, and I guess I'm I'm not attached. There's nothing going on. Clearly something's going on. Turn again to the sense of self and see where it's landing, Where's the grasping? Again, it might be an image or a memory or a thought of the future. So, see, I started this by saying a sense of identification with the body. And often it is around a particular sensation, but often it's around a thought or an image. And, of course, when we really bring attention to the body in meditation, all there is is sensations coming and going, coming and going. I mean, there isn't anything solid. And when we say, oh yes, don't tell me there's nothing solid. In my experience, there's something solid. That's an idea. That solidity is an idea. If we really experience it's just a moment of sensation, another moment of sensation, and the thoughts make it seem solid. So just noticing as it comes and goes, comes and goes, and noticing the thought. Not trying to change anything. Just noticing where this grasping is arising. What's it grasping at? Where's this birth of self arising in that moment? And again, if anything I'm saying gets you really confused, just don't even think about it. Serious, thinking about it only is going to lead to more confusion. Just bring your attention back to that experience of who's confused. What's that feeling of confusion? Turn around and feel the sense of I in that. So there's body. Of course there's vedana, the uh, feeling tone, the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Now this is, uh, of course, we've talked about it a lot, so people here are getting quite subtle in noticing pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. And even if you think you're not subtle in it, even noticing it is subtle. I mean, how many people on the street, you could stop and say, now is your experience as you put your foot down, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? You know, they look at you like you're nuts. But we're actually noticing it quite a lot. And it's interesting to notice because this is, again, another aspect of experience that can easily be clung to and thought of with that feeling, to give birth to that sense of I or mine. And it can be easy to miss that it's the feeling tone, especially when it's pleasant. So, for example, if you have a sitting, the breath is smooth and calm and the mind stays there fairly easily. And, of course, we like it. And you, you, you really, though, are noticing the smoothness and the calmness. And in your mind, you're saying, I know this will change. I know I like it, but it's okay. I know it will change. And it does change. And we're distraught when it <laughs> changes. Even though we thought we had it all set up. And we could see, I know I'm not this breath. And that's really clear. But sometimes we miss the fact that the grasping was around the pleasant feeling. And so the sense of self, the birth of I, was happening in each moment of grasping at that pleasant feeling without quite noticing it. So I know this might seem a little subtle, but it's really important because that's the place that the birth of self happens quite a lot. Buddha Buddhadasa, um, gave as is, is one of his ways of helping us see through the illusion of self, is to, is to keep investigating at this point of Vedana, especially at pleasant feeling. Apparently he was really big on keep exploring the illusory nature of pleasant feeling. Illusory nature, we mean it comes and goes is what we mean. He talks about like wave-like nature. There's a nice physical sensation. It's pleasant. The pleasant feeling kind of comes up like a wave, and it's really nice, and then it crashes like a wave, and it's gone. Just keep noticing this over and over and over. And he says, he sounds sort of uncompromising, but I think it's often true. He says, in contemplating how pleasant nature arises and disintegrates, arises and disintegrates, just noticing the impermanence, actually of all these aspects of experience, as Joseph said last night, but especially with pleasant feeling, it can begin to undercut what we've talked about so much, but we still get caught in it, that underlying belief that really the way to value life is by how much pleasant feeling it affords us. And as Buddha Dasa says, how many of your decisions, how many of the things you do, the jobs you have, the place you live, the people you hang out with, the people you get uh, involved with, just the choices we make, how much of those choices really, when we're not paying attention, uh, are driven by what we think will afford us the most pleasant feeling. It's really quite interesting, I thought, when I looked at it. And of course the mind says, oh, that's enough. I don't want to look at that. Don't look at that one anymore, thank you very much. So of course we're having to look at that here. That's the whole setup. That's why, it, i just like to point out, that's why it gets so difficult sometimes. And sometimes there seems to be waves waves in Yogi Land of difficulty. I almost think it's contagious, you know, of difficulty in the form of suffering and how much of the suffering, all the suffering, all the suffering is because there's the birth of I in that moment, but how much of it is around the fact that we are being united with unpleasant feelings and we can't change that. Just that simple. The... A rising of the birth of I and mine around wanting, pleasant feeling. It's really, it's amazing. It's amazing when we really look at it. So that's a quite important one where the self is born. And of course there's thoughts and emotions. This is all we've talked about quite a lot. More difficult thoughts in a way because the birth of sense of self can come so quickly with thoughts. And thoughts and emotions are so complex and sort of feed into each other that uh, it can be quite difficult to catch the, the moment of birth of self. But we can at least notice after it's born, we can feel its presence. And rather than hating it or thinking something's wrong, just turn attention to the birth, to the sense of self. Just an example I remember uh, when I was sitting a couple of years ago of uh, just such simple, mundane little thoughts can give rise to such a solid uh, clinging of me. I was doing my walking meditation, and again, just present, nothing going on, just kind of awareness, and I sort of like felt an itching and ran my finger under my turtleneck. And was aware of it, was noticing it. And in that running of the finger, there was sort of a a memory, sort of, you know, like a body visual memory of many other times of doing that same feeling. It just felt so familiar. And then there was a lot of uh, mental images flashed through of just of my body walking and of what I was wearing. And then the thought, gosh, I wonder how I look. I bet I look like a a real schlump, you know, the way I... Schlump around here when I'm doing walking meditation, and then that was all it. Took. That was a flash. I mean, that was, you know, less time than it took me to say one one of those pieces. There was the strong birth of self and other, and uncomfortable and self-consciousness and aversion. The whole story. It doesn't take much. I'm not saying this to be discouraging, but. <laughs> No, I'm trying to be encouraging because then we can realize how subtle and quick it is and rather than thinking, oh, I'm never going to see through this, it's too much. It's like, no, no, there's so many opportunities. (laughs) It's true, I didn't even mean that to be funny. (laughs) There's just (laughs) so many opportunities (laughs) and it's only moment to moment. I mean, it's like sometimes I I used to find myself sort of sitting back and waiting for the big flash of no self that was just going to end all the sense of self. Of course, I was positing that there is a self. The flash of no self would somehow uproot it and throw it away, and then I wouldn't have to deal with all the suffering anymore. I'm still waiting for that particular... (laughs) that particular experience to happen. But along the way, in 20 whatever years it is I've been practicing, there have been an infinity of moments of seeing through this birth of the sense of self. It's not something to be gotten rid of. It's simply to see for what it is. And any moment that that we are aware of the sense of I or mine being there is a moment when we can meet it with wise attention and see, oh, it's just a momentary experience. It might be a sensation. It might be that sense of clutching. It might be clutching at an image. It's something slightly different each time I turn my attention to it. And whatever it is, you know, it's no big deal. Because all there is to experience is the six sense doors. Touching, tasting, smelling, hearing, seeing. (laughs) I'm trying to think of them all. (laughs) That's five in the mind, the big one of course. But that's all, even what we're calling sense of self is nothing other than one of these six sense experiences and it might be a slightly different one each time that you investigate it. So really noticing that helps to break down any underlying sense of unchanging nature that it might have when not investigated. When investigated, there's nothing really there. When uninvestigated, I am so solid, you know, there's no way I could not be here. So with thoughts, similarly with emotions, and we've talked a lot about you know, the impermanence of emotions, watching them come and go, even when you feel, I've been so sad all day, really noticing the gaps in that. All of that, of course, helps to break the sense that I am my sadness, I am my grief, I am my excitement. But just another piece, Again, I'd like to put in is that we can tend at times, or I can tend anyway, to think that it's the presence of the emotion itself that's the problem. Uh, Of course, I only think this when I'm really somehow grasping at that emotion or grasping at wanting it to go away. But to think it's the emotion itself, that's the problem. But we can, again, begin to notice When sadness comes, for example, could be anything. There's times when it's simply sadness, full presence, awareness, feeling it fully. I don't mean uh, noting and the sadness is over there in the corner somewhere. I mean really in the middle of it, except there's nobody there in the middle of it. It's just sadness, fully felt. And many people say, you know, there's no problem with that. It doesn't, you couldn't even say unpleasant. It's just what it is sadness. And then at some point, that sense of clinging arises and becomes I who am sad, or becomes my sadness. And at that point, it becomes problematic. At that point, there's some extra twist, the suffering begins. So in exploring or investigating what am I calling sense of self, we can notice when we're suffering in an emotion, notice not only the emotion itself, trying to accept it, you know, we do all our little tricks first to get rid of it and then to try and accept it and try and remember, you know, all the stuff we do. But also turn attention to the feeling of I in that sadness. It's part of it. And it feels different when I am sad than when sadness is arising, just sadness. It feels different. Simply begin to notice that difference. Give it attention. We can see the birth of me, the birth of mine, in the sadness or the happiness or the stillness or the peace. Just two other areas I just want to mention quickly that we very, very often um, identify with. By identify, again, I mean this clinging of self around experience. Because they're so subtle is that of intention, obviously, and um, that of uh, consciousness, the knowing itself. And again, not to think about these But one of the reasons that actually we bring into the instructions, noticing, you know, before big movements, that intention. Because when we notice the intention, we see how fleeting, how fast it is, and how subtle an experience. But we also clearly see, as it comes and goes, it's so clear, it's not me. There's no grasping at it. That's why it's fun for me to... I like it when I start having an itch in a sitting because I can just watch the intention to lift my arm come and go and come and go, you know, 10 or 20 times. And I really like that because... (laughs) Because each time the intention comes and goes, it's just so clear that it's another arising appearance that's conditioned by... Not liking the itch, and that's all. When we don't notice intention, that's when we really easily think, "Who moved? I moved. Who noted? I noted. You know, who's who's eating? Who's standing up? Who came here? I, you know." But it's just grasping around intention. Also, with uh, chitta, consciousness, the ex- experience, you could say. Of knowing itself. Last night, Joseph was was talking about the the natural uh, nature of mind, just simply of awareness, and how spontaneously appearances arise and are known, just quite effortlessly. And my mind, of course, in its more grasping mode goes, "Yes, yeah, sure, spontaneously known by whom? By me." Clearly I, you know, am knowing and recognizing these appearances when they arise. And a lot of that's because the, uh, you know to call it, but the sense of knowing, experience of knowing is quite subtle and hard to notice the coming and going of it. And so it's very easy to identify, to grasp at it as me, because we don't even recognize its presence in the first place, never mind that it's coming and going. (laughs) It's hard to even recognize its presence in a moment. And so we easily get into a sense of grasping a birth of self around the knowing itself. And what I find with both of these two, intention and knowing, what even complicates and strengthens the sense of self further is because these are very um, subtle uh, experiences, and hard to notice, and to notice the grasping, we then tend to think about it. So for example, with that, ex- with that example of uh, grasping at the knowing itself, who, who's knowing, I'm knowing, and then hearing what I just said, my mind would start to go, what do you mean, the experience of knowing? It comes and goes. What do you mean it comes and goes? I don't notice it coming and going. How can it come and go? How can it even exist? And then the more I think about it, how can you say that's not me? It feels like it's always ongoing. It feels like it's, you know, the mind just takes off. And the end result of that is the, the birth of self is happening at that point around the thinker, around the analyzer. And so the end result is, by the time we've thought that through, I feel really much more solid than I did before I started that line of thought. And so that tends to reinforce that that line of thought is true. Because the more I think about it, the more solid I feel. I don't know if this makes sense, but I've been noticing this in myself, where if I think about intention, if I think about consciousness or awareness, I feel really solid, because there's a clinging to the thoughts themselves. That's why it's so important in this whole area to simply use wise attention, wise discernment, and come right back to the feeling of I itself. It's not like you have to untangle everything. I I have spent a lot of time working my mind into I just feel crack trying to understand what no self could be, or how could I not exist, or how can awareness not be me when it so obviously feels like me and that kind of thing. I spent like where I just bring my mind to the point of implosion and I would feel really solid. I wish I could spare you all that because it never led anywhere. But if at that moment you don't have to backtrack what I feel like is going to implode, simply turn the attention onto I. What am I calling I? And all I feel in that moment is, oh, tension. That's it. Or contraction, or mental image, or a thought. I mean, I'm not trying to simplify. It really is simple. It just takes the cutting through of the mind of mindfulness wisdom, cutting through of wise attention and wise discernment. Simply come back to see what's happening right now. So we don't have to get rid of some idea of self, but by coming back with wise attention, Each time that we're aware of a sense of self, we see it's illusory nature over and over and over, or it's transient, it's changing nature over and over and over, and it becomes easier not to get so caught in it, in these ideas, or even in the sense of self, we don't have to fight it. It's just another arising appearance. So often when I'm on retreat, not in my daily life, but when I'm on retreat, I think I mentioned this one morning, one of the notes I'll be making, on this seeing, seeing, hearing, thinking, ah, self. And it's just like what I'm doing is landing with my attention at that moment on what feels like me. And sometimes it's an image and sometimes it's a sensation. It's never anything very out of the ordinary. And it's always a different experience. It really breaks up the attachment to this idea. And it becomes much easier to incline towards stillness, to incline towards the mind of non-attachment, mind of pure awareness. This, this sort of had the feeling of this stillness to me called The Desert Has Many Teachings, from a woman um, from the 13th century in Germany. In the desert, turn towards emptiness, fleeing the self. Stand alone, ask no one's help, and your being will quiet, free from the bondage of things." I don't think this woman was ever in the desert. She lived in Germany in the 13th century, but I really like that. Turn towards emptiness. (laughs) What's so funny about that? (laughs) I thought it was very nice myself. (laughs) But it's true. Turn towards emptiness. Stand alone. Ask no one's help. And your being will quiet. Free from the bondage of things. It happens quite naturally. The sense of self becomes merely another appearance, coming and going, that we don't need to fear, we don't need to hate, we don't need to get caught in. It arises due to conditions and passes when those conditions change. And as Joseph said last night, over and over, all conditions change. There are no conditions which do not change. Buddha Dasa, again, I thought this was funny, he he gets so emphatic, he went back to that phrase, nothing whatsoever should be clung to, and then he added, as I or mine, the core of the Buddha's teaching, and then he expands on it like this, he says, no one, and he writes underneath it, that means no exceptions, (laughs) should grasp or cling, give rise to ego consciousness, to anything, that means no exceptions as being I or mine. No exceptions. No one should cling to anything. That means anything. (laughs) No exceptions. Not because to cling to anything is bad, but because it's the root of all our suffering and confusion. And because in the not clinging to anything is this vastness this peace of just being of awareness the peace of non-grasping it's not you know it doesn't have all the intensity of our high pleasant experiences the mind i think at heart does need to be a bit refined to even think the peace of non-grasping sounds like a good thing that's why we sit for serious th- that's why we sit for 3 months I actually think that now watching the incessant arising of the grasping of self and its death and its birth and its death, the peace of non-grasping sounds pretty good and it's wonderful and it's not something that is foreign to any of us. So that's the other side of bringing an investigation, investigating what we're calling self in any moment, but also to notice the peace of non-grasping when we can recognize it. If at any moment any person has a mind empty of clinging to I and mine, even if only for one instant, that means the mind has realized emptiness. That's Buddhadasa again. Even for one instant. True, it's not the emptiness of total liberation nirvana that the sense of grasping will never arise again. But still, in that moment, where there's no clinging or grasping of I and mind, the mind is pure, radiant, and at peace. And we, each of us, experience this over and over. So the other aspect of our practice that I feel is so important is not to overlook these times, to learn to recognize them. Clearly, you can't recognize it with grasping, right? Gone. Because as soon as we're grasping, the mind of non-grasping is not accessible. So simply to notice with awareness. Recognize the mind of non-grasping. We tend often to skip over it. It's as if, uh, I notice in myself, as if the mind is more comfortable relating to things, relating to objects, relating to experience, liking it, disliking it, analyzing it, but it more is doing. Of course, I'm more there then. But we can consciously begin to recognize these moments of emptiness many times a day, nothing so exciting, no big bang, but just recognize and consciously meet with awareness when there's these moments of non-grasping of self. So that we gradually learn to be comfortable, to trust this pure awareness, to um, actually be content with this. Piece of non-grasping. I read somewhere a reference to the sky yoga of non-grasping. I really like that image, the sky yoga of non-grasping. And it, I've found helpful, this is a metaphor, but I've found it hel- a helpful way to practice at times to help me tune into this mind of non-attachment. And it's the metaphor of space. I guess that's why I liked the idea of the sky yoga, of non-grasping. But Maha Joseph talked about shifting our reference point to the mind of non-attachment rather than so focused on objects, on appearances. And I found tuning into space or silence a way that helped me just to sort of loosen up the fixation on changing appearances. So notice when a thought arises, the space around it, the space before it. When the thought ends, rather than immediately clutching back to the breath so that there should be no space, you know, without things arising, just notice the space. Notice the emptiness, the silence, and let the breath arise by itself or whatever else comes next. The space, as an emotion dissipates, just notice the silence, the space, In between breaths, in between actions, always filling up our time. Just have a little, sometimes I would consciously make space in between when I end a sitting and I get up to walk. Just a space. And just notice the space, the silence. Not spacing out, I'm not talking about. The space of awareness where there's a vibrancy, a wakefulness in the silence. And don't make much of it. It's just This is just like a metaphor to help tune into uh, the mind of non-attachment. And it's, it's interesting. Uh, well, that's why we talk about hearing. We've been using hearing as one of the uh, anchors because it can help tune us into this sense of spaciousness. We tend not to get so involved with sounds. We don't make another one happen and we can notice the space in between or the silence. And when we can bring the sense of space to an experience, you see the difference how when we're really fixated on say a difficult emotion, we're fixated on that. It's so much more difficult. It's so much more suffering than when we can just open up and have space around it. It, The mind is restricted and it takes up the whole field. Um, so I remember one time, the house I'm living in, there didn't used to be a little house next to it, which there is now. And in that period, between when there wasn't another house and there began to be another house, my sense of space got completely encroached upon because I would sit at my kitchen window and look out at the woods, and that's where the house was being built, right in that view. So I got to where there were only four little stakes in the woods where the house was going to be. And I would sit at my window, and all I could see was those four stakes. <laughs> Nothing else. And there was aversion and anger and all the different feelings. I got really miserable to sit at my kitchen table until finally I saw what was happening, which was interesting. As soon as I saw it, I said, This has to stop. You know, I can't live the rest of my life here doing this. And I just opened up the space. And it's interesting, it just stopped being a problem. The fixation makes it so much more real. The sense of space around something makes it much more workable. And we can all practice that here with things that arise. You can see some little thing drives you nuts. And when you can just expand around it, it still might be unpleasant, but there's not that fixation of self on it. It isn't always easy to maintain the sense of spaciousness. Um, The energy needs to be balanced, the concentration and mindfulness. When they drop, being spacious turns to spacing out, and that's when we need the precision of technique, you know, to come back and feel the breath, sensations, use the noting, use connecting with objects and appearances, notice beginnings and endings. It wakes us up, again brings vibrancy. But another thing I've noticed in myself is that tuning into space sometimes gets uncomfortable. My mind gets a little restless. It wants something to focus on. I was again sitting in California in a different place and when I noticed this, I was sitting with my eyes open again, very broad vista, meadows, rolling hills, just sitting. Spaciousness, and I was con- consciously tuning into space. And there was four little horses. I mean, they were so tiny, they were so far away, so such an insignificant part of the vista. And I would notice as I would open to spaciousness, could could just be vibrant in that for not very long, and then almost as if by reflex, the mind would get uncomfortable or restless, and it would zoom in on these tiny little horses. And sort of fixate on them as if looking for some kind of stability or security. And, you know, I could sort of see the rest of the spaciousness, but not very well. And this happened over and over and over. I found it really fascinating because I could correlate it to my experience in, in meditation of how just resting and trusting that spacious quality of awareness. The mind has kind of a knee-jerk reflex to want to fixate on things. It's kind of hard to trust, to relax, to not need something happening, to not need to have the birth of an I. As Thich Han says, we're afraid of nothingness. And because we're afraid of it, and the mind clings to a belief in a permanent self. And that's what's so weird. We're afraid of nothingness. But seeing through the sense of self isn't nothingness. It's not annihilation. It is the entryway to a peace and a happiness that all this grasping of self can never, ever give us. All it gives us is confusion and suffering. And it's not passive, it's not unfeeling, not uncaring or life-negating. It's the doorway to freedom and true compassion. As one Tibetan said, once you realize emptiness, it would be absurd to do anything harmful. When you realize emptiness, compassion arises with it simultaneously. So in some ways, I think this is our root practice, just play with it, exploring the sense of self, letting the awareness, the mind inclined to space, noticing emptiness, noticing when it is empty of eyeing and mying. And just notice that, that's all. There's nothing to lose except our suffering. So let's sit for a few minutes.